And we are back with another On Coaching Podcast with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, the cross-country coach at the University of Houston, director, deputy director of High Performance West, joined by my good friend, colleague, partner on this podcast, John Marcus, the director of High Performance West. John, what's going on? You know what's going on. Back, baby, giving the people what they want. And today we're going to be, I think, pressing some buttons. Oh, you know, that's one of the faint, the, my favorite things to do. I know you like to do it maybe a little bit more slyly sometimes. Yes. Um, but pressing buttons is always fun because we... it's like a little kid in like an airplane just go, oh, what's this do? What does that do? What's it? Kaboom. <laughs> yeah. So, so what you're saying is we're going to blow ourselves up here. Uh, potentially, potentially, potentially. You know, or you know, get other people heated. And you know, it's actually it's good to press buttons because it's good to kind of have an emotional reaction because we are emotional creatures. We can't just depart ourselves from that. But it's also you know, sharp lines in the sands help us actually think a little bit more crystal clear about where we sit versus where others sit. Because again, there is really no right answer. Just there's just the answer that's right for you right now. All right, look at that wisdom we're already starting off with. So what? Bang bang! What are we talking about that might be controversial and press some buttons? As John aptly titled this one, it's called "Why Message Boards Are Not Worth the Risk." Oh, stay away! Stay far, far away from message boards at all costs. It does not matter what site. It does not. Period. And. Sometimes even like comments on Twitter are message board-esque and not even worth the acknowledgement or reply. I famously do not reply to any comments on Twitter that of my tweets that people grossly misinterpret what I say. If I reply, I actually care about you and I'm willing to like reinterpret. But if I don't reply, it's just like, look, I only have so much time in the day and I can't spend it all on Twitter you know, reorienting people to understand what I had to say. Well, well, what it does is it's interesting, right? Because it it, it sucks you into this vortex, right? Where it, you're in this, like, non-understanding battle uh, where no one really is changing anything. No one's really getting a point across. You're just, mm-hmm. like, arguing. And it's partly because you can't see or relate to the person you know you're arguing with because like in real life we're built as humans to like see in person communicate non-verbally right because Mm -hmm. i hate to tell you this but non-verbal communication evolved for you know millennia before it did uh before we uh, gained the ability to talk so we're really good at non-verbal communication so when we take that out and we don't see the other person, we lose a high level of uh, empathy and understanding. So what happens is we get in these little spats that, you know, end up going nowhere. And it's not worth it. I mean, you know, think about it. Like we're practicing a skill that we, that's in our empathy for us without this kind of face-to-face, right? And the difference, but there's a difference between argumentation and arguing in, in my world and discourse. Arguing is when someone just wants to belabor why they're right and has no interest in getting closer to the truth. Discourse is like a tennis match. It's a back and forth 
an exchange without trying to down the other person, but really see clearly their side of the coin and why from the chair that they're viewing the world and their worldview, they think things are the way they are or what their interpretation is at an effort to get both parties to contribute to the dialogue to get you closer to the truth. But yet that is the hardest part because it takes some humility and understanding to know you don't have the whole truth and you have a lot of you know, unknown and maybe even some untruth. So this idea like it's a debate that someone's going to come out, the someone's point of view who's the most you know, authoritative or most convincing is going to come out the victor, grossly wrong. And that's unfortunately what you see in a lot of message board forums. Exactly. I mean, it's, it becomes about like proving your point and like feeling like you quote unquote one versus actually having discourse and actually have understanding and actually get to a, a, a better place. Right. Um, it's almost like that, that like feeling of winning of getting that, like, uh, you know, feel good dopamine hit versus <laughs> like actually obtaining knowledge or understanding or changing viewpoints. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's important, like, okay, why are Steve and I talking about social media, like Twitter comments, like message boards? Like, what does it have to do with coaching, guys? Trust me, I get it. But, the, you know, what it has to do with is being receptive and understanding this is the world we live in now and will continue to live in probably for a long time because we have these tools of technology that connect us instantly. And I can do a podcast with Steve with him sitting in Houston, me sitting in Portland two hours apart, and, you know, texting someone who's in Ireland right now, as well as someone else who's over in Singapore. Like, that's really cool. However, we need to be cognizant as coaches that that capacity and ability is available to our athletes. And so my challenge to every coach is if you don't have some type of online platform, whether you pick it, Facebook, Twitter, don't even do all, just pick one. Like I went all in on Twitter, I'm cashing my chips in there. But if you don't have a place for athletes that you work with or your colleagues or young coaches or even, you know, athletes that you potentially could work with to discover you and discover what you're about, they're not going to take the time to dig real deep and figure out. And that too allows you to also put a lot of good out into the world and kind of drown out the noise that's out there with clear signal. So, you know, and, and, you know, another reason we're talking about this is, well, actually a couple, gosh, a couple months ago now, I was fortunate to participate in this uh, leadership conference hosted by the Brooklyn Nets. And I was talking to John about this um, at the time. Is it, Yeah, which I'm super jealous I didn't get the invite, by the way. I'm you, just not as famous and awesome as you. You okay. know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. Um, well, I keep a low profile, you know me. Um, so, like, uh, it, we spent a long time talking about, like, social media, right? And social media's impact on, like, game performance and leadership and, and on athletes' performance. And not only from a, like, you know, oh, these kids are addicted to their phone, but more of the, the ramifications and the psychological impact um, that this, this stuff can have, right? Because... Just think about it. Like, where is our point of comparison now? Right? Our point of comparison can be global, right? It's yeah. It's anybody in in the world, right? We can go on Instagram, click, 
you know, the explore button and see, you know, supermodels who look like they're at home or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you can go on, you can go on IWF.com for professionals, TFERS for college kids, mile split for high school kids in track and field. And you can see where you sit globally now. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of times what happens is that creates this, what we call a, a false reality, right? Because mm-hmm. your reality sees all these people maybe running fast or all these people who have the, the answer to how to run fast on uh let's say a message board um and that creates this this false reality of perception of like oh my gosh like these people are super fast or these people are super fit or these people know how to coach and have the answer to my questions uh why don't i have these things why am i not up to this and it creates a an unattainable unattainable um set of comparisons or expectations and as we know pretty well, like being humans, like part of our psychology is set up based on comparisons to these norms, right? Yeah. And if we always feel like we're underperforming or um, not meeting these comparisons or expectations, what happens is like all those negative psychological ramifications that we hear about of anxiety and like depression depressive thoughts and like envy and like all these other things that you know can not only hurt performance but also hurt our uh our well-being the it, it's sensationalism right and it's so sensational because it's so uh you know at such a magnified or um, elevated level to our day-to-day norm like you don't see people who are you know airbrushed supermodels just walking down the street you know, on a day to day, like that makes you stop and stare because you're like, oh, this is out of the ordinary. But on social media, that's every day if you let it be. Same thing with like, you know, workouts. I mean, that that to me is the stupidest thing ever. Like, stop posting workouts just to brag. Like, maybe have a purpose behind it to explain your decision making. That was the impetus of the workout of the day last year for that six month period that I put on the High Performance West website, which is still available. It did no good just to post the splits and just say that's what happened see those times are a scoreboard and they're really fast. It was like, no, no, here's the splits, but the splits doesn't matter. It's just a scoreboard that's random, that's appropriate for that person's ability level. What matters is the decision-making, the discernment, why we decide to do that type of session at that point for this athlete versus another. That's what I was trying to communicate uh, with that offering for you know half a year. And you know we want this sensationalism because it – it hijacks right the dopamine in the brain, and dopamine is a useful um, uh, neurochemical, but it also can hijack us, and that's what happens with Skittles, right? Skittles taste great, man. Our brain loves sugar, but you can eat like seventy thousand Skittles, and all of a sudden you've just gained a whole bunch of weight because you weren't even cognizant you're eating Skittles. Your body's like more, 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 because that's good. You know, and that's the thing about any diet, right? The diet starts at the grocery store. The best way to lose weight is don't bring the Skittles home from the grocery store. Number one way, like, you know, best way to, you know, lose weight is not drink a beer every night. It was just the effects of that, the aversion of it is the thing that elevates or the thing that gets you to your goal. Same situation here. Best way to not worry about the scoreboard on social media, don't go on social media or understand when you are going on the social media just to keep score. 
And like, I find myself sometimes with that too. And it's, it hijacks me. Like I can go on my Twitter feed and say, how many notifications do I have? How many followers do I have? Like, but that's what they want. <laughs> they, they want you to do that. Now, Twitter is a useful tool because it's a discovery tool. That's how I use it. I use it to either allow people to discover me and what I'm about or High Performance West or Steve or my colleagues or try to discover what those people I actually know face-to-face are doing and thinking and putting out in the world. Like on my Twitter, I famously only have like a below 40 people that I follow and 30 of them I know. I, I, I could call this person, text them. I could have a conversation. I know them face to face. Typically, I have about five or 10 people I don't know and just say, hey, are you doing something interesting? And should I know you? That's, that's, how, that's how I do it. Otherwise, I had it where I had like 500 people I followed. Like, I don't, I'm not that popular. I don't have 500 friends. I don't have 500 people I can keep up with every day. It's, it's overwhelming. But it's a great tool if you know how to use it. You just have to define it for you. Yeah, you know, there was a a really interesting study um, done, I think a year or two ago, where they looked at uh, Twitter and Instagram usage um, in college students and the impact on their, like, psychology and their uh, mood states, right? And what they found was really simple is that a reminder that this doesn't reflect reality every once in a while, like, Mm -hmm. actually helped uh prevent some of the negative uh side effects from a comparison um and what they said is that even if people came in and like understood that at the beginning if they scrolled enough right it's almost like subconsciously they would forget and then they'd think like oh all these instagram models like this is the new reality but if you just periodically like remind yourself that like hey this isn't reality um (laughs) it can help with stuff and i think that's what you kind of get out is that it's it's not that any of this stuff is necessarily quote or quote unquote evil right um but it's cultivating awareness of why you're utilizing it or why you're going on the message boards right so for a while like i'd go on the let's run message boards mainly because like renato canova posted a bunch of stuff at once right he was dishing out gold it was awesome yes and it's like it's like this is awesome like forget everything else like this is well worth it right right and and like that's the decision point you make but like when you take that away then it's like oh is this is this about our sport well yeah this is where our sport hangs out and it might be kind of interesting but it doesn't like is the value there enough to justify going there so if it's not if my intention was to get gold from coaching then as long as that gold is there i'm gonna go if that Mm -hmm. gold is is gone then i'm not gonna go to california for a gold rush that doesn't pay me anything (laughs) right amen to that yes (laughs) so you know and i think that's where the scene goes with twitter or facebook or instagram or anything is like what i've really tried to do as recently especially because we're all susceptible to that like dopamine hit right um is to really be intentional about what am i trying to get out of this right yes as Mm -hmm. you know uh am i trying to share information and create a positive environment am i trying to connect with others who maybe uh have interesting and and uh ideas that are uh challenging um my coaching and stuff like that um or am i trying to collect information where it's like hey this person is really good at filtering right some people Mm -hmm. who i follow they're like 
the best at like filtering sports science knowledge or filtering, you know, uh, you know, coaching cues and stuff yeah. like that. And like, they're the person and they're doing part of the work for me. Right. It's like, well, I'm just going to follow this person because like they're up to date on this research or this, uh, these ideas or whatever. So like this takes a load off my back of having to sift through things because this person knows they, they got it going on. And in that yeah. case, social media and stuff is highly valuable. But what you want to do is keep it where your intention is, Hey, if I'm going to utilize this, I'm utilizing it for a purpose versus getting caught in that trap that we all do of scrolling or like, you know, checking our, our likes and retweets and feel, mm-hmm. feeling good about our, um, you know, popularity. Yeah, the question is, does it make you better, right? And, you know, checking your scoreboard on those, you know, I always tell people like, guys, social media is like Santa Claus. It's not real. It really is not real. But yet we take it as reality. And it's like, you can believe in Santa all you want, but it's not real. It's just a great vehicle and a place to like park things. You know, instead of like, say, 20 years ago when we would just, oh my gosh, this is a great research article or, you know, this is a useful, um, you know, sports science thing. And I'll just spam all my contacts who I think will be into this. Now what we do is we just park it on Twitter. And the good follows, like Steve said, are curators. The good follows are people who are like, yeah, this is the stuff that's not junk, that actually has some nourishment, that can help you where you sit or help, you know, think critically or applaud what you're doing. But that in some way, shape or form can like create improvement or betterment in your condition. And sometimes it's people who have a contrary um, perspective or thought. And those people are valuable too. But when you get back to when people are hijacking tweets and, you know, making them about categorizations that wasn't implied or telling you you need to do this or telling like that's and it's the same thing on message boards, because remember, it's not the tool. It's not the message board itself. It's not Twitter itself. It's not Instagram, you know, or as Bill Belichick calls it, Insta uh, face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I always love, InstaFace, uh, or InstaBook. That was it, InstaBook. Um, um, it's pretty good. It, 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 yeah, it was great. It's not about that. It's not about the tool. Don't blame the tool. Blame the user for being a, uh, unable to control their usage or you know, uh, discipline their usage of the tool. It's the same phenomenon that happened with the technology of cars, right? Cars got on the road. There were no there were no lines on the road. There were horses. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, we got cars on the road now with horses flying by. Okay, we have to institute policies. We have to say you have to drive this side of the road that's striped. You can park here. You can't park in front of a driveway. Right? All these policies about for cars came about because the technology was new at the time. No one had any experience or ability to cope with it. And so they created these safety rails so that people wouldn't get run over frequently that was an issue people were getting run over by cars a lot they were causing horrendous traffic damage down the street you know it was an issue oh people are flying out of windshields we gotta put a safety belt in a car the you know the car companies fought it tooth and nail for decades right so think about this it's that's all social media is it is a information tool if you know how to use it and luckily for us we are information consuming machines that's why schooling works right that's why um uh, anything else works that is about teaching and about showing people um 
anything that's good. Hold on. See. Yeah, that's why anything where you are communicating someone to elevate their level of competency, skill, or intelligence, or how to you know better interact in the world works because we can assimilate information, internalize it, and apply it. This is all social media and message boards are. However, now it comes to the same thing as food. You got to get really good at understanding there's junk information and junk food out there and a lot of it. And guess what? It is delicious. <laughs> and sometimes you don't know you're eating junk until you're like, oh, wait, there's actually no nutritional value to this at all. And that's what I mean by like, you know, going on with these, you know, Vern calls them keyboard coaches, um, you know, or armchair quarterbacks, right, who are just like, I'll just say things on the interwebs and people will believe me because I have an authority or I have a website. Which is, again, nowadays, like it's super easy to do and it's super easy to crack that code. I mean, if you yes. spend enough time tweeting or Facebooking or Instagramming, like it's really easy to be like, oh, that got a lot of likes. This other thing didn't. I'm going to say more things like this. And over time... Yeah. You get this like, oh, that person gets a lot of likes and has a lot of followers. So he, he or she must know what they're talking about. And and it's also, you know, if you look at in the past, we had um, we had almost Gates text as expertise. Right. right so, yeah. for instance, it, and it's good and bad. Right. In one sense, it's good because now we've opened the floodgates and a lot more people can participate. Um, and the downside is we don't have gatekeepers. So for, for writing books, for instance, like it used to be the only way to write a book was to go through and go to one of these main publishers, right? Who yes. controlled mm -hmm. everything. And now like, you know, I've done it. Like you can, yeah. you can self publish it, which is great. But the downside is now we have, we have a, a bunch of stuff that probably shouldn't be published. But Lots of junk. Oh my God, there, there's, there's a lot of bad lot books of junk, in the world. Right? But the <laughs> yes. good thing is, like, now we have easier accessible and we have some things, like, for instance, in niche um, categories, like maybe hardcore training or running, um, you have some books that never would have been published before that are really good. Um, yeah. So there's, but the same goes with, with coaching and the same goes with just about anything is that, um, that you there's no gatekeeper. So as you said, like I can self-publish a book, I can put a website up, I can do all this stuff and make it seem like I know what I'm doing. I think you know. Actually, recently I read a uh, read a good article on outside on uh, biohacker Dave Asprey, right? Um, I don't even know who that is or so, what the hell biohacking is. So he. Uh, he was the guy who kind of pushed the uh, the butter in the coffee thing. Um, oh, the bulletproof shit. Yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, there was this. There was. I want to mess up the quote, but there was a good quote in there from him. That is like, oh yeah, like now you don't even need like any certificates or degrees. Like I don't have any of those uh, those things, and like you know, I, I'm an expert essentially. And that is the downside to like not having a gatekeeper to a degree is like now this guy who again, according to himself, like once, um, once uh, gave himself third degree burns from putting ice all around him because he was trying to increase his metabolism or some crazy stuff. Um, someone who does that stuff is now an expert, right? 
because or, or deemed you know, or perceived. Deemed, it's a perceived, perceived expert, right? Please. And the, yes. and to tie this back, the same thing happens on social media. The same thing happens on on uh, on message boards. And what we've lost is again, there's there's no gatekeeping, but there's also very little regard for the emphasis to have skin the skin in the game has gone down because I can get a good following. I can seem like an expert even if I have coached nobody. Um, just based on maybe how many followers I get. And that's and that's important. It's you know, that guy, the biohacker guy's attitude was everything. It's the naivete or actually the arrogance. Like he's so naive that oh, I don't need to be an expert. Like you hear this all the time, junk science, right? It's like people like global warming's not happening, it's cold. And it's like, well, no, there's a difference between climate change, which is over the long haul. I think, you know, Bill Nye has a really good uh, succinct quote on this, which is over the long haul versus changes in weather. Changes in weather is day to day. You can get, you know, there's reason there's like highs and lows in this wide spectrum, but climate change is what's happening over decades, centuries, millennia. That's what we're worried about. But just pointing outside and saying, it's snowing in April. Ha, take that. No, no, no. Time out, jeans. Come on. Don't don't be that ignorant, please. I encourage you not to fall for that trap. And that's what having a lack of expertise does is it allows the naivete to be compounded by this sense of insecurity, which comes off as arrogance. And then you create a position where you don't want to have a discourse at all. You just want to argue to reaffirm your position as right and the other person's wrong. And it's confirmation bias all over. So, you know, the way to get around this and this is nothing new like i mean this has happened like they said the same thing about people who were publishing magazines back when publishing magazines was a the vehicle to disseminate information or pamphlets right or all mm-hmm. these propaganda materials like wizard of oz was supposedly a propaganda material for a political party back in the day you know like books i mean anything and everything is propaganda like I mean, I'm not afraid to admit it. Steve and I, we're propaganda, right? We have a certain type of coaching and relationship and worldview about what is a what makes a good coach. And we're out there every day. This podcast is about every day encouraging you to choose, you know, something that's healthy and nourishing for the long term versus going for the hack, going for the shortcut, you know? And like, and we stand up, we have skin in the game, right? Like I've taken i've gone to altus for the acp because it's an incredible learning opportunity threw down three thousand dollars of my own money no one paid for it for me and this was after i've already coached people to championships at you know every level i went and took the usatf level certification one course after i coached a national champion on the roads after right like if i had arrogance and like oh my method's the best method I would say I know everything and why do I need to take any of these like low level courses? But I've met some of the most amazing high school coaches, middle school coaches, college coaches at these courses. You know, and like I got better because they're like, huh, I never even thought about considering that. You know, Bush Nextider is to me the f- person who in- indoctrinated me or ingratiated me in understanding why speed and power is so important for every single athlete and that was a USTF CCCA course right I took two of those I mean I took these courses even though I already had great mentors you know I learned from the feet of you know Jerry Schumacher Alberto Salazar and Rob Connor like those are pretty good people at a pretty high level 
I could have arrogance and say, oh, I know it all. I know their system. I'm just going to copy and paste and voila, I'll be the next next great one. No, that's not what it's about. It's you got to wake up every day hungry. This is like, you know, the famous Joe Vigil quote. I wake up every day at 4 a.m. and try to learn something new because I don't know it all. And that's the point. Anyone who's an armchair quarterback or, you know, keyboard coach, they know it all. And you have to ask, how do you know it all? Well, I read Daniels. And I read it. Okay. And I read Daniels. And that's that's the that's the formula. And it's like, <laughs> guys, I read Daniels too ten times. You know, Mike Smith sat at the feet of Jack Daniels in his early career. You know, and he learned, he performed tests. He was with Jack in troubleshooting. He helped him write, you know, he had input on like papers, Jack like that's why Mike Smith is the NAU coach and really, really good and winning titles. Like it's not because like Mike's just like some like, Oh, I'm just some, you know, misty mystical guy with a smooth voice. Like Mike knows his stuff inside out. Like, you know, Steve, Steve can write the science of running. Why? He had a master's in exercise phys. He was doing experiments. He was constantly searching in an era where it was hard, really hard to find, you know, cutting edge uh, research material on this stuff, you know, in that pr- kind of pre social media boom era. And then he went in like coached really high level people. He's around Alan Webb and Rasco. Like, yeah, you can write the science of running, Steve. And I respect that expertise and I'll read it. And I add, I mean, I've read it twice. Like, you, you know, I, I think that's part that is missed too, right? I, I am a anti certification, so I haven't done any classes, um, besides university stuff. But like, I, I, I think, I think that that is sometimes missed, right? Like, so I spent my youth, you know, going, driving two hours up to Tom Telez's, uh, um, farm or whatever yeah. it was, yeah. um, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, Texas to, uh, during my high school and college days to a help myself as an athlete, but also learn. I mean, he taught me how to freaking start out of the blocks and do a 60 and, you know, throw a jab and like high jump and this stuff that I'll, and shot put. I remember learning how to throw it or how to put a shot. Um, which at the time when you're 20 years old, I'm like, why am I learning how to do this? I just run around in circles for a long time. Um, but it was the coaching act of it, right? So right, like yeah. I spent my time that I spent, you know, six months living in, um, in California training with, uh, Marco Ochoa, who those who don't yeah. know, he ran 212 for the marathon and was one of Joe V Hills, uh, mm-hmm early post-collegiate uh, professional athletes uh, at the marathon before, like, one of the early members before they went off to Mammoth. Um, so learning the V-Hill system and then moving across the country to train with, again, Alan Webb and Scott Rasco and doing all that stuff. Um, and, you know, we could go down the list, and it's not to be like, oh, this stuff, but I, I remember you tweeted this, John, about your, like, first job, you know, yeah, volunteering, then paying like nine thousand dollars and all that stuff, and that's the same, man. I spent four years, you know, volunteer coaching for high school and handling pretty much all all the workouts and all that stuff, um, without mm-hmm. making it without making a dime. I mean, my I didn't charge professional athletes. John knows this for yeah. years. <laughs> For well after I'd coached people to world championship teams because mm-hmm. 
because like at that point i was like i need the experience like yeah you were learning too like yeah, it was really. a fair trade <laughs> yeah it's like i i might mess you up a little bit but like i'm i'm learning how to do this you know just as well and i think that that's part of it is like having the you know awareness and understanding that you know you you have to put in the time you've got to you got to take the time to get that mentorship to be humble mm-hmm. enough to learn how to grow and not you know not sit on the internet which is really easy and be like oh i've i've got the information i've i've got it i've got it figured out do a b c d and if you do that like you're going to have the answers i mean mike smith's a great example because like it took him forever to get a college job right yeah um yeah. you know many people don't know this but ben rosario at naz like he was looking at i think he told me once that he was looking at getting into soccer coaching before like the the uh his pro team took off because like mm-hmm. he'd been knocking on the door danny Mackey as well like he'd applied famously sent out two, 250 resumes all rejected yeah all rejected to coach you know and my my first book <laughs> our my first non-self-published book peak performance people don't know i mean i think it was rejected by i don't know 25 publishers and has gone yeah. on in in a little over a year to sell over i think 120,000 copies so far um, which is really hard in the book world like yeah. that's like i remember talking to you and brad and you guys man we sell like 30,000 copies like we got made yeah i mean that, <laughs> that's how it is and and we're not here to brag and say oh drop famous name coach famous yeah. name athlete like we're super lucky that we have a cohort and we're you know thankful that we have a lot of famous names but i have also like unfamous names you never heard of dave lee you know at warren pacific college at the nei school where i got my start in college coaching he gave me that shot you know i mean i go down the list of the non-famous names as well that were you know, key to my development, but they don't resonate because they're not famous, right? And that's part and parcel with the kind of culture we live in. So it's not about who the name is. It's just, do they have the expertise? Were they ones who are there, you know, making an impact, making a difference, coaching people and doing so either with a map, if certification did exist and, you know, was, you know, on the cutting edge about learning and continuous learning, or whether they could say Vern Gambetta, who made the map from scratch. Like he's the map maker. Why would you not listen to Vern? Like if you listen to this podcast, I hope you always listen to the Hammer Media podcast with Vern before us because the map maker is preaching. He's been doing it for 50 plus years. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, sometimes he's like, you know, you kids get off my lawn mentality, but you know, for thankfully, you know, well earned. Like he can. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people don't realize it's like the original you the first USA track and field. Um, coach's education starting it was literally like Vern Gambetta, Joe V. Hill, Gary Winkler, and a couple others yeah. spending a, yeah. uh, you know, a week together and locked up together, like formulating all that. Like that's yeah. what you mean when you mean created the map. And they're coaching every day. They're out there coaching. And this is a big thing, you know, for me that I like to like stick in. It might rub people the wrong way a little bit. Coaching is not creating a menu and prescription of training activities to be done at a certain intensity, density, and, um, you know, rhythm. That's not, that's not it. That's part of the job for sure. But that is also a fitness instructor does that. Coaching is teaching people how to win. 
That's what a coach does. We have a scoreboard. It counts. It matters. It elevates. It keeps everyone, you know, uh, keyed on on ownership about what we're all doing here. If you're not teaching your athletes how to win, you're not a coach, period. You're a fitness instructor. If that's obsessing about splits or how many miles did you get or, you know, and that, and that might rub you the wrong way, but I'm sorry, we have to teach people how to win. That's our job as coaches, period, end of story. As a calculus teacher's job is to teach people calculus, not to teach them English, someone else's job, but you need to know English or whatever language you're communicating in to teach people about these numbers and how numbers and letters go together in calculus to help solve problems, right? Same situation here, and that's where you get a lot of these you know, keyboard coaches who are simply fitness instructors, online fitness instructors, mailing, you know, programs, quote unquote, guaranteed won't fail 100%. My program has a 95% success rate versus the other programs. What? Like, what planet are you from, dude? You know, and sure, you may like have intersected with one or two famous athletes or one or two athletes, you know, did well, but you can't hang your hat on people PR'd. That's not a coach. A coach is... These people showed up, they competed, they won, or they got second. Like, I will go with a coach who knows how to coach winners, who takes average people and gets them to a very high level of competency, and they're in the race, you know, striving for victory, versus the coach who can promise and guarantee me a 10-second PR in the marathon, or a 10-second, you know, PR in the half marathon. Like, that ain't the game, and I'm sorry if I've broken hearts, or I'm sorry if I sound like a hard ass, but you really have to think critically about it. It's part of what coaching is. It's not all of what coaching is. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think it's a, that's a good statement and a good understanding is that sometimes we forget, you know, uh, what coaching truly is about and kind of simplify it again. Like in, in today's world, like tying this back to this social media message board idea is that it's it's easy to fool yourself into into thinking that like your success right and that's mm-hmm. okay to a degree but like what happens is if you think you got it figured out where everyone's going to PR and everyone's going to win and all that stuff whatever you're going to judge is like you stop you stop growing and you you stop being challenged right because like if you think you get you got it figured out then for the next 10, 20 years, however long you're going to do it, you keep doing it that way. Why? Because in your head, it works, right? And I've seen it so many times where if it doesn't work, then what happens is those coaches, those athletes who think that their way is the 100%, 95% foolproof way is they blame other things, right? They say, oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't my system. What happened is that athlete, like, oh, he just didn't try. Or like, right. oh, he like he got hurt because he didn't like do the things that I asked him to do or she didn't do the things that I asked him to do. And you see that instead of them taking like, you know, accountability. Full and, ownership. Yep. Full ownership. That's not a coach. Bill Belichick, whenever they win, hey, these guys did a great job. You know, uh, Greg Popovich, hey, these guys got it out. It's a player's game. The players played. Whenever they lose, I messed up the preparation. I made the wrong call. The coach always owns the loss. Always. 
that's our job. It's why we get paid or why we have the title if we don't get paid or paid well. You call yourself a coach if you own the loss, and then you call yourself a coach if you deflect the success to the rightful party, which is the athlete. You are not a coach if you don't own losing, period. Exactly, 100%. And that's like really difficult, especially when you when you start out, right? But th- yeah. that, that's part of the reason, and you know, I think John will agree with this, it's part of the reason why you expose yourself to a, a number of different coaches and a number of different styles is to see how they all handle these things. And sometimes you're going to pick out things that, you know, I know one of my greatest uh, learning opportunities was picking out a bunch of things not to do of like, oh, hmm. This person just handled like, you know, maybe uh, weight or eating issues like this, or they handled failure uh, from an athlete like this and blame this. And and then you watch the athlete's reaction. You say, okay, take note. Like, this is this is not a good thing to do because you can always pick these things up a lot easier from the outside when you're observing as a, a kind of uh, a little more of an impartial outsider than when it's happening to you because like our reaction as humans is to get a little defensive and be like oh no no that wasn't that wasn't my fault or you know the classic example i like to give is how many times as a coach maybe you've done this yourself as you've sat there and someone isn't running well and you know they come up to you and you say well you know, I not I know you're not running well, but like, look, you know, your teammate Jimmy over there, or Su- <laughs> Susie over there yeah. is. So, like, it's working for them, so it must be like your problem, you know? Right. And maybe not said exactly that way, but the the insinuation is my program works because Susie just got better. So, mm-hmm. like, it should work for you, and if it's not, well, that's that's your fault. You have to figure it out. You're the one who is the the bad seed, the bad apple. And, you know, that that type of um, posturing, that breaks my heart because, you know, what's the best system? The best system is the one that teaches the athlete individually, you know, how to win and how to overcome their, that individual athlete's uh, gaps, whether it's skill gaps, mental gaps, fitness gaps, whatever the gap is, that's the best system. And so everything now has to be tailored end to one why we live in such a hyper competitive society at every level now high school kids are faster than they've ever been college kids are faster than they've ever been you know professional athletes are faster than they've ever been across the board right in the 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 average speed of the peloton so to say is just going up and if you are sitting here with a you know industrialized model of plug and chug and just everyone's a cog and you you and you're in and you're out you're a lazy coach, you know, that's, it's straight up. And I'm, you know, again, that if it makes you squirm a little bit, cause that's what you do, look in the mirror and say, how do I get better? How do I provide a little individualization? Like, or oh, I have 120 athletes. I can't do, yes, you can. That's your job. If you have 120 athletes, your job is to teach everyone how to win every single one. Now you're like, Oh, they can't all win the race. Well, yeah, they might not be the victor who crosses the line first, but you can't make winning about time. Oh, you did better for you. That teaches someone nothing. You have to say, well, when does it get hard in a race for you? And the athletes like, well, okay, let's pretend we're running 5K cross country for a high school uh, kid. Well, you know, coach, it usually gets hard about two miles. Okay, what do you do then? Well, I start to like, you know, 
think and like I think about what I had for lunch or I let my mind water wander or you know I just focus on how hard it is okay well when it gets hard you need to do this to compete with those people not with the clock we're competing against people so that pack you're with even though it's gonna be difficult to stay with them you're still gonna be find difficulty last mile anyways so just try to stay with them for let's see how many steps you can stay with them, you know, and, and inch them further and further so that they feel like at the end of the race, they're going to come through and outkick someone and outlast someone or endure against someone. And then thankfully, like in cross country, right, can help the team score. You know, even if they're like seventh man on the JV2 team, it's like you got you as a coach, you are the one who has to create the environment for that athlete to win and don't be sloppy and lazy and just fall back on time. It's the easy grade, you know, to give is a time grade because that's how we color things. I don't take grades from athletes. Life and racing is a pass, no pass class, right? And it's not fail. It's just pass or not pass. You did not pass. You did not win. You did not try to win. You did not pass. You won. You passed. Even though it might have been sloppy, you passed. You can't say, oh man, the surgery was a success. We did everything by the book. Every cut and incision was perfect, but the patient died. But the th- surgery was a success. Give myself an A. No, that's a fail. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we do when we hide behind time and being accountants of metabolic outputs, right? And measuring easy things like how many miles are you running or, you know, what's your PR, you know, da 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 da. I've seen people, you know, professional athletes, people who are at a high limit, PR huge. Huge, like Tara Welling, good example. Huge PRs. We never talked about PRing. She just raced to one. And when she was on in 2016, like, bam, man, she just PR'd like a you know, queen. It was fun to watch because she just went out every race saying, I want to win. That's it. We didn't talk about pace. We didn't talk, oh, do this at this point. Do that. Like, go. Just go and just try to win. Win the race. Compete. Period. End of story. I want to see what does winning look like? How can someone who is watching you know that you're trying to win? How does that look like to the observer? Go do that, right? And it forces the athlete to make independent, self-guided decisions because ultimately, right, we're trying to coach to autonomy. And if you're not doing that and you're holding them you know, hostage with time and then judging, well, you get a B on that lap because you're a half second off. Like, what the hell are you teaching this person? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's really, it, it's funny. I uh, A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a sports information person, and they're like, you know, track is the only event, or is, a, is one of the only sports where you can read read the sports information press release after a, after a meet, and ha- and you can spin it in any way you want. Right? Yeah, you can mm-hmm. have the worst meet ever, but like if a couple people PR'd, you can say, "Hey, we were dead last and got our butt kicked," but like, you know, Susie ran a lifetime best and moved to number three in you know the school history list or whatever, and it seems like a positive. There is no negative uh, sports release in track because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. You, you can spin it in any way and and in, all, in some ways that's great but in some ways that hurts our sport and and in others like if you let it fester it can it can hurt our athletes expectations and like what you're you're trying to um teach them and and the way you're getting them to grow right who had the better nba career alan iverson or tim duncan 
Well, Alan Iverson led the league in points and, you know, da 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 da. And he, you know, is famous and controversial and all this, but Tim Duncan's stats weren't that impressive. And that's all times are your stats. But he won and he was around winners and he kept winning. And that's the thing I remind people like for the basketball nerds out there, when Michael Jordan led the league in points scored, he was on a non winning team a team that did not win NBA titles. When he stopped trying to be the NBA scoring leader and worried less about his stats and more about the win-loss column, then his teams did unprecedented things. Two, three-peats in a row. Very difficult to do. Very few have done anything like that. Bill Russell, same deal. All I care is about the win-loss record. That is centralizing your focus on what matters most. And too often we get diffused and dispersed with this spinning. And that's what Steve and I mean by message boards or cowboy um, keyboard coaches, armchair coaches or armchair quarterbacks, is they spin what we're doing to kind of be something that sounds like, oh, I can buy into that. And I'll be happy to give you $100 a month to write me a training plan and send it to me an email and check into me with once with a 15 minute phone call. Like, and some people that's all they need, sure. But like coaching is like Steve said, it's the soft skills. It's the body language. Like Steve and I are out there coaching every day. Like and if you don't say say Steve has skin in the game, like he went from the highest level, like world class, like coaching with you know a, a perfect like with uh, a footwear titan funding him to University of Houston with very little, if any, scholarship budget, <laughs> like very little, if any, travel budget. You know, like very specific goals. We prioritize this and this, not this, and he's made it work and found diamonds in the rough in like people like Brian Braza and other people that Steve knows who he has nurtured slowly through the years to become highly competitive people. Like the fact that U of H had, you know, a steeplechase or even thinking about winning an NCAA title, phenomenal, you know, like, but that's not a testament to Brian or Steve. It's a testament to the culture and testament to Steve's learning to say, how do we be successful here despite these obstacles? Myself, Portland State, I left UP, which was always ranked in the top 10 in the nation in cross country. Go to like Portland State down the river, you know, very dysfunctional middle distance, distance program, no culture, huge challenge. I had to write my own workouts, I had to recruit. Like I grew so much in that difficult time because that is what matters is being in the trenches, boots on the ground day to day coaching. I learned so much at practice. Every day I go to practice ready to learn. And if all you have is an Excel file in front of you and judging if the person hit the split you told them to or not, you're an accountant, you're a fitness instructor, you're not a coach. You know, like how do you create some, you know, uh, traction you say or how I coach if I can't see them in person online? Like spend your money and go coach. Like pack bags, get on a plane and go visit this person or have them come visit you, see them in person like Daniel Herrera and I like live 2,000 miles apart now, but I see Dan two, three times a year because he'll either come somewhere like I'm going, we'll be in the middle, like University of Houston last year. Like I see Dan still and it makes the relationship better because I can see him, you know, and that's, that's the key, right? Or do what like say Steve and Mark English does where Mark's on another continent in Ireland. He sends Steve video. Steve watches the workout and then he says, hey, what if, or like what, you know, Dan Path did with Greg Rutherford. They, he watches the workout and then coaches what he sees on the video. That can be done. The technology's there, everybody. It's awesome. But don't hide behind the hack 
Don't hide behind the spin. Don't hide behind, hey, does weight training really work? You know, message board people, no, bullshit. Oh, yeah, it totally does. And, like, you're asking the wrong audience. These aren't professionals. Like, ask a pro who can tell you and the nuance. Like, it depends is not an answer. <laughs> that's not. That's nothing. Yeah, and I think tying it back into, you know, the – the message for social media world is like, it's really important to understand, you know, uh, where you get your information from, right? Are you getting it from a biohacker named Dave Asprey, um, who has a lot of followers and maybe written a book or two? Or are you getting it from, you know, maybe in that sense, like a actual uh, PhD biologist who can tell you whether this works or not, right? Mm-hmm. And the same goes with coaching as, is don't seek reassurances in places that like don't offer value. Like every time you're you're giving your headspace to message board post or social media or whatever, you're allowing them influence over your thought process. Even even if it's at a subconscious level or whatever have you, is you're allowing them this uh this influence. So like you have to be be aware of who you're giving this this uh almost ability to right yeah yeah discernment's huge right it's like that's the skill is being able to discern if this is nourishing and the way you know it's nourishing is if the person who's putting out there says look i've made mistakes i don't have all the answers i am learning every day too that's kind of my litmus test for is this person just a um, sensationalist who's trying to like hijack you and get your follow or get your engagement to better their analytics because they're checking their analytics every day furiously like i don't check mine i don't even know i don't care because it's not the point of why i play the game the, the point of why i play the game is to contribute to put some signal out there that says thank you here's what i'm doing and thinking about this may challenge you it challenged me at one time too here's people who've influenced me you know that's what i'm trying to do is be a lamppost in a dark, dark, chaotic world. Same thing with Steve. Same thing with a lot of people in our cohort. And, you know, there's a reason we all gravitate to each other, right? Like, you know, we're attracting each other, vice versa, because we've seen through the quick fixes, the hacks, the, you know, the BS, the, you know, uh, keyboard coaches, the guaranteed 95, 100% success rate. That's just not real. It's, you know, it's polished. And you can polish these things all day, man. You can polish social media, your website, your quote-unquote system. You can polish it until it's the shiniest thing on the block. Or you can do what Steve and I do, which is go to work every day, lunch pail and hard hat, which so many coaches do. Coaches don't have time to go on social media because they're working and they're recruiting. Coaches don't have time for message boards because they're working and recruiting. So just because they're easy to discover does not mean that they're the best or the brightest or an expert or true authority on the topic. You got to do your homework as a consumer of this information and say, is this person worth listening to? And frankly, it's a policy that you need to put in place and communicate to athletes you work with. We're not, social media is a tool and there needs to be a policy, I think, you know, for every team um, out there and even athletes you may work with say, here's our, here's my policy or the policy about how to interpret social media, how to use it for ill and also how to use it for good. You know, Bill Belichick, you know, he's someone I've been saying lately, and he has like a policy about things that, you know, players can and can't put out on social media that are related to the team. It's very cut and dry. It's very black and white. It's like, look, these are the guidelines on this tool. 
You know, you can use it for ill or good, but don't use it for ill, right? And that's it's important. You have team policies if you're a scholastic coach for a reason. And you have terms and conditions if you're a private coach or a post-collegiate coach in, you know, as well, like you should. And these are things we really need to think carefully through because they have an impact. They have an influence. You know, they're on athletes' minds. It's quick. It's easy. It's accessible. It's cheap. It's free, right? It's, but I think it's the most expensive thing because if you get lost in the scroll, you just waste an hour of time you can't get back. And, you know, that's the thing. So it's not worth the risk. Find good sources because Steve and I will tell you who's doing good work because we are constantly searching. We're constantly trying to be exposed. Like, yeah, Canova, Canova knows what he's talking about. Mike Smith, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Like, I just ordered the Inside a Marathon book with, like, you know, Scott Favel and Ben Rosario. Like, yeah, I'll support the hustle, man. I'll read it. I'll let you all know if it's good. Like, I don't know. I can't make a comment. Like, but, like, hats off to them for providing that insider information. And Ben works his butt off, man. I, that, that much I know. You know, and so I'm happy to support him because, you know, he's earned where he's at. And I'm happy to see him and his athletes have success. You know, I couldn't sum it up any better there. I think that, you know, if you look at it, it's just what John is just talking there is it's about like awareness and understanding of what you're using social media message boards, et cetera. What are you trying to get out of it? Like be uh, have intent on what you're doing. And make sure you're you're vetting the people who you allow in your headspace, right? Um, don't just let any joker because they have a following. Like have people who have skin in the game who are trying, uh, who are you know out there, like you just said, like Ben Rosario putting in the hustle to try and put stuff out there and, and establish quality. Um, and that is the key. Yeah, and let us know. Keep us accountable. Like if you're a listener, be like, hey guys, I'm a listener to the podcast been down since year one you know my ogs where you at i see y'all that we bring it to you but let us know like if you know we're bringing you if we're worth the follow right because that's how i always decide like i give people man this person ain't worth the follow anymore you know if we're backsliding yeah like you guys are esteemed um you know uh, participants in this journey because you're out here putting in time and work and trying to get better and listening to us and other sources like and if steve and i are slacking we need to know from people who are engaged informant who've been with us for a little while versus someone who just doesn't like a random tweet i put out and then wants to hijack it and say it's like no i'm not gonna listen to that because i don't have time but if someone who is a, a listener especially an og from day one yeah i'll take a pause and i'll i'll reply and i'll you know i'll get on i'll raise my game back up because it's important we all keep a high standard because if we don't the only way to go is down couldn't have said it better. All right. Until next time, um, don't forget to check things out on all our wonderful websites and and uh, Twitter. They're not that well polished. I wish they were, but we're out putting the hustle. Yeah, we are not <laughs> website designers. We are yes. put the content out there. But check it all out, um, all that good stuff. And um, until next time. <laughs>